We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast where we try to live faithfully 168 hours of every week. I'm your host, Brother Rob, and I'm here with my brothers Brandon and Chris. How are y'all doing tonight? Good, good. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good too. Good to be here, Brother Rob, Brother Brandon. Good deal. Tonight we have an interesting topic. Um, here in the past, I don't know, five, ten years, it's been a, a growing phenomenon that people are, are doing what they're calling deconstructing their faith. And they're they're taking apart everything that they have uh, believed and they have decided um, to no longer have faith in in Jesus and uh, choose to live in the way that they um, see fit. And so we're going to talk tonight about a TikTok that uh, Brother Chris came across about a, a deconstructionist and, and two of her ideas or questions that she had about um, about her faith that led her to deconstruct her faith and, and to lose faith in, in Jesus. And so um, we're going to go ahead and, and play that TikTok for you guys right now. These are five things that I learned while deconstructing from Christianity that I wish I had fully understood earlier. The first one has to do with the burden of proof. The burden of proof is on Christians, not on non-believers. Christianity makes the claim that there is a God. Not only that, but also it makes the claim that the Christian God is the one true God and definitely the only God worthy of worship. Non-believers or atheists lack a belief in this God. There is insufficient evidence to convince us. So in debates or arguments with Christians, so in debates or arguments with Christians, it is important to remember who has the burden of proof. The second thing is falsifiability or the ability for something to be proven wrong. In science, having a hypothesis that is falsifiable is a good thing because it means that we can test the hypothesis. What I learned while deconstructing is that the proposition that God exists is not falsifiable. Specifically, the God of the Bible, the Christian God. There are some gods that are falsifiable. For example, if I made the claim to worship a God named Betty that appeared every single time I did a pirouette, we could definitely figure out a way to test that claim and falsify it. As far as I can tell, though, the God of the Bible is not falsifiable because he exists outside of space and time. He's invisible. He works in mysterious ways. You have to have faith in him. How on earth would we demonstrate that this particular definition of God wasn't just some figment of our imagination or an idea? Looking at claims and figuring out whether or not these propositions are falsifiable has been an incredibly useful tool for me to identify assumptions embedded in my beliefs. These are five things that I learned. All right, so there are um, two ideas that she had um, as to why she started deconstruction. And uh, the first one is that the burden of proof is on the believer to prove that God is real, that Jesus is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to start there. And Brother Chris, I will let you uh, start this off for us. What do you have to say in response to the idea that the burden of proof 
is actually on the believer um, rather than the non-believer. Why is it important for us to, uh, to consider the topic that that we as believers ought to have proof of God and be able to prove him to other people? Yeah. Well, first, I'd like to say on the deconstructionist standpoint that uh, a deconstructionist was never actually a Christian. And uh, right. we, we see, you know, in First John chapter 2, verse 18 through 19, where John says, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. And that's, you know, kind of what she would be in this this moment, an Antichrist, not in the, like, the literal, like, you know, Armageddon <laughs> sense. But, you know, she's against Christ. She's against Scripture. But he says, therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And so I would say that this young lady, as she's sitting here talking first, it's, it's very interesting as you hear her voice, it's very soft and, and kind of monotone. And uh, actually, if you watch the video, she's, she's putting on makeup and going through a daily routine. And it's kind of an aesthetic there, right? That makes people feel comfortable. And, and she doesn't have to have a lot of burden of proof herself to prove these things are real. She's using these actually very simple psychological tricks to, <laughs> to right. say, just hear, just hear what I'm saying as I put on my makeup and it's real, you know, but that seems the bird more sinister than her voice though. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to make videos like that because it probably <laughs> scare everybody rather than <laughs> draw them in. But the burden of proof, that's an interesting thing to start with because she's not completely wrong. Overall, uh, she says that the burden of proof is on Christians and that there is no burden of proof on the non-believer. And I would disagree with her on that second part of it. Yes, the greater burden of proof is on the Christian. It's on the one who believes that is called to go out to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering to this lost and dying world so that they might go from death to life, that they might go from being lost to being found. And so, yeah, there is a burden of proof that we as Christians need to take seriously because if we want people to believe what we believe, we've got to prove it to them. But I don't, I don't agree with her when she says that there's no burden of proof on the non-believer because when we're talking about life and death, when we're talking about eternal separation from God and hell, or eternal life with God in heaven, that's a very serious claim. And, and you got to think about it, kind of, let's take it into more of a human understanding. If someone makes a claim on my life, does the person that's making that claim on my life need to prove that they're trying to take my life? No, I'm going to look into it a little bit because it's my life. My life is hanging in the balance. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, well, prove to me that you're going to take my life away and then I will take you seriously. No, I'm going to look into it. I'm going to verify the facts. I'm going to scrutinize everything that's being presented before me. And therein lies where I have the burden of proof. I have to prove that that is right or I have to prove that that is wrong at that time when the information is presented to me. And that's 
that's something that that I can't agree with on with her. But you know, remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter one, verse twenty, where he said his being God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And so there's not going to be anyone that stands before the judgment seat of Christ and be able to proclaim to Christ and say, hey, your believers, you know, the burden of proof was upon them. Therefore, I'm, you know, I'm good, right? No, you, you heard that I was real. You, you are floating in the middle of nothingness on a big space rock and you didn't even think to look around at everything I created and come to a conclusion that maybe these Christians that you think are crazy might be on to something. And so there's a burden of proof definitely uh, on the non-believer. But the, I, I do think the greater burden of proof still remains with the believer. Yeah. I think, I think you make some good points, Chris, that, you know, sort of the intent behind what she's saying is not exactly correct where it's mm-hmm. like there is no proof for the existence of God. And so it rests on the Christian's shoulders to make the case. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really not the case, you know, uh, right. kind of like you said from reading Romans one, Paul says the proof is all around you. Mm-hmm. The proof creation, he says, you know, you can't know everything about God from creation, but you can know that there is a God in the created order. He says that God's invisible attributes and his power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. It's not cloudy. Mm -hmm. It's not unsure. They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world so that man is without excuse. So man has no excuse. I mean, and it's pretty obvious. It's like, if you look at a building, and this is borrowing from, I believe, Ray Comfort from Living Waters uh, Ministries, but Ray Comfort would say, you know, if you look at a building, you know it had a builder. There's no question about it. Right. If you look at a painting, you know it had a painter. There's no doubt in your mind about that. And and that's because the proof of a painter's existence and a builder's existence is the product he makes. And that's one of the arguments Paul is making here. Um, But I agree with you too in saying that that doesn't mean Christians have no responsibility resting upon their shoulders. We do. And the fact that we do is stressed to us in 1 Peter 3.15, where the apostle so famously tells us, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet right. do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter says very clearly, you know, yeah, uh, creation might testify that there's a God, but you are supposed to testify that there is a God-man, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You're to be ready to give a defense, um, to defend the faith, to reason with people, to give them an explanation for the hope and faith that you have. Um, and of course, you know, one thing we often forget is what 
Peter emphasizes in the latter part of that verse where he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect because um, arguments and disagreements and debates can easily get out of hand and ad hominem can get interjected and we can lose all the gentleness and respect. So that's an important aspect as well. So, so yeah, we'll have to disagree with her on saying that the responsibility for proving God's existence and verifying the truthfulness of Christianity rests on believers shoulders entirely. It really doesn't, but we still do have a great responsibility and it's part of fulfilling the great commission that Jesus has entrusted to us. Right. And we don't, we don't have to put on makeup and, and speak in little voices to, to share the gospel. We, we can just share it, you know, uh, and, and get the truth out. And then the burden of proof after sharing the truth is always on the hearer after that. I think about um, creation because that's where our mind often goes. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the days of creation and we talk about the timing of creation. And then we talk about all the science that's around us that has been drilled into our heads and and all of this. The fact of the matter is um, that we all go into our beliefs about the beginning. And we do know from science as well as scripture that there was a beginning. Science used to say that there wasn't a beginning, uh, but now it does. And and that's kind of proving us right. And and that's pretty neat to see, but right. But what we, what we see is that we all go into it with presuppositions. So we all come into it with ideas and, and certain beliefs that we already hold that are based on faith. So I, as a Christian, have faith because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And he claims to believe and be the author of Scripture, then I'm going to believe what he says about creation. Uh, And so that that takes faith. I don't know exactly how he did it other than he spoke it into existence. However, the scientist doesn't know how... Everything that that used to be all this one little spot in that's smaller than the the point of a pencil lead ex- exploded and became everything. All all matter was was so dense in this pencil lead, and then it exploded, and everything that exists now exists in the perfect harmony to to be able to harbor life. That takes faith. Um, you can't go back and watch it. Yeah. You can't look at it. You can't redo the experiment. You can't try it again. And so it takes That's faith. And, and so for for somebody to say that the burden of proof is solely on the believer is to to dismiss your own presuppositions that you don't have some kind of faith in something to begin with. Yeah. But I want right. to go. I want to go beyond creation because and and I might offend some people for saying this but Uh-oh. but you know my faith doesn't doesn't hang on the creation account my faith hangs on the the death burial and resurrection of Jesus and so let's right. talk about that for just a minute um the burden of proof so i have uh not just a book because the Bible's not a book. It's 66 books that was written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years. Um, Of those 66 books, I have four books that are about the life, death, 
and resurrection of Jesus. I have um, three of which are are written by eyewitness accounts. One is written by uh, a doctor and historian who goes to find out about this Jesus that everybody's talking about. Then there's another book that is talking about the early church, and that starts with Jesus appearing and then ascending visibly where over 500 witnesses see him ascending to the Father, right? And so we we see that the idea that there's no proof for the believer is just silly. Um, We have more proof in eyewitness accounts and recordings of the events and life of Jesus than we do any other historical character in history. Um, And so there is historical proof. The Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, Gandhi talked about how he believed that Jesus was a real man and that that he respected his teachings. Um, the the person of Jesus is is not in question, and so that's that's some proof. History proves that Jesus actually walked this earth. There are eyewitness mm-hmm. accounts by people who had nothing to gain by saying that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, they knew that they would be killed just like he was if they said that he was raised from the dead. And guess what? All the the disciples, they did die for the sake of Christ, except for John. And that's just because they kept trying to kill John and he just wouldn't die. They they buried him in in a bat of boiling oil and the man just wouldn't fry. Uh, because God yeah. still had a plan for him, and you can't kill somebody that God's got a plan for. Um, right. And so we've got burdens of proof. Um, the problem is too often is that deconstructionists just don't want to to hear it. But that's a good segue, I think, into the the next argument, which is, oh yeah, definitely, false, false. What's that word? <laughs> Falsifiability. Falsifiability. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, the reason you couldn't say it is you weren't putting it on makeup at the same time and doing it in a whispery there voice. You know. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that means I'm doing right here, right now. But you know. <laughs> Brother Chris, why don't you lead us uh, in, into that idea? Yeah, well, and that is a great segue right there. It's kind of interesting how she takes, you know, that first part, the burden of proof is on the believer uh, and then talks about, you know, the falsifiability that you can't, you know, falsify God. And and that's true. You can't falsify God. And if you could, he wouldn't be God. That's what makes God, God. And so uh, I think that's a ridiculous way to, to start with it. But as you were talking about too, when we look at the burden of proof, we have so much proof so much evidence to validate we that we don't have to try and falsify God, try and falsify the the burden of proof that we have and find that you can't do that. And therefore, if you can't falsify it, that's a good thing because then it means we have the truth. And, and so simply one must look at Jesus, simply Jesus. And I agree with you, Rob, that that my faith doesn't hang on the creation account. Uh, My faith doesn't hang on the account of Moses parting the Red Sea. My faith hangs on the finished work 
of That's Jesus right. Christ, his right. death, his resurrection, his promise that he's going to prepare a place for us. And, and so because my faith hangs on him, I believe that everything he says is true, right. is true. And historically, it's it's proven. Jesus was a man that walked this earth. He was crucified on the cross. And we have so many eyewitness accounts talking about his resurrection that the burden of proof is overwhelming that Jesus was here. And now we just got to look at him and, and ask ourselves the question, do we have enough faith mm -hmm. to believe that all of these eyewitness accounts are true? Or do we think he's a raving lunatic? I like what C.S. Lewis said, um, you know, how people talk about Jesus being a good guy and whatnot. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so either we have to come to the realization that Jesus is who he says he is, or he's a raving lunatic, an evil, lying person. And I choose to bow down at the feet of Jesus and worship him as God. And so there's my proof for God right there in the man who we know as Jesus of Nazareth. So, yeah. Uh, so first of all, y'all help me with, uh, what is it? False, uh, flip a flappity. <laughs> Falsify, <laughs> Falsi yeah, falsifiability. Falsifiability. So yeah. if I make up kits in order. So. If I understand falsifiability, it's that something, whether it's a proposition, a theory, hypothesis, whatever, um, has to have the ability to be proven wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, and it's only credible. You know, it's only believable if it's inherently falsifiable. You know, you can, you can right. prove it wrong. Um, well... Don't you guys, I think that's kind of um, maybe circular reasoning. Yeah. Um, or maybe there's a better description of it. But to me, that's self-defeating. Right. If something can be proven wrong, then how do you how do you ever arrive at what is right? You know, if she's saying right. that it's, um, yeah. you know, I just it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and you can't prove, you know, like traditions wrong you know there's a lot of traditions that the church has built up that cause these young people to, to really put in uh 
to these traditions rather than to a relationship with Christ. And that's a lot of times why they leave, because they never really had a relationship with Jesus, but they had a a religion based around tradition. And when you can prove that tradition to be wrong and not according to scripture, then they leave and then they just think everything's false. Uh, but then they're, they're failing on that burden of proof because the burden of proof is still on them as well to take the evidence and figure out what's right, what's wrong. Uh, and as John has said before, I know I read a little bit of John right there, but we're supposed to test the spirits of everything before us. Uh, you know, we're supposed to scrutinize things and figure out what aligns with the word of God and what the word of God is directing us to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think that the, the best thing that we can say here um, is this, that we worship Jesus because we have a relationship with him. Um, right. Scripture is is so amazing to me because it's it's God's love letter to me. It, it's Him letting me know that even though that I was once an enemy of His, even though that I've fallen short of His glory, even though I still make mistakes to this day, that He took He took my place, that that He took my sin, that that He provided for me, um, and and we can go and and we can look at. At the evidence and the 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 Dead Sea Scrolls to me is just an amazing feat of, of history and burden of proof for me because we have scripture that is identical that that used to be um, people used to think well you know this stuff has changed so much over time um, but. The, the truth of the matter is, is that it's the same. It, it read almost identical with, with just little periods or punctuation being different from the same text we have today that was buried for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and so that, that's a, a really cool uh, way for us to have some, some proof. Um, but for me, it's all about the relationship. I've heard him speak to me. I've heard his love and, and I've felt his spirit move in me. And like you were saying, Brother Christian, I think that that the problem is is that so many are deconstruction de- deconstructing because they never had faith to begin with. And so, my my hope and my prayer for you guys listening uh, is this: is that first of all, you don't just believe what what we're telling you because we're telling you it. Uh, explore this for yourself. Uh, seek out Jesus because He. Um, is is ready and willing to to start a uh, a relationship with you. Get into His Word and and see what He has to say. Um, do your research and and I believe that that you will find. Um, I think you'll find grace and love and peace like you've never known. Uh, and so, thank you guys so much for joining us today on the the Faith One Six Eight podcast, where we uh, try to to help you live faithfully 168 hours of every week brother christian brother brandon thank you guys so much for for sharing your thoughts on this matter and and this isn't the end of our topic uh our our talk on deconstruction we're going to continue talking about this over uh uh, probably a few weeks maybe a month or so uh probably with some some bible study uh in between that 
But thank you guys so much for listening. Brother Brandon, would you close us in a word of prayer? Sure. Uh, Father, thank you for this time that we've been able to share together. We just pray that we've been able to glean something that would help us to love you more and love our neighbor. And we pray for all of those experiencing this deconstruction, Lord, that you might surround them with good Christians, that you might grant them answers and help them, Lord, just to uh, find Christ and to receive the salvation found in his name. Be with all of our listeners. Help them and help us to live faithfully for Jesus the next 168 hours. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 Podcast Facebook page, and we will see you in 168 hours.